All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode and back with uh, Mr. Lyle McDonald. And, um, howdy. Yeah, today is going to be one of those episodes again where you won't hear my voice a lot because uh, Lyle, as usual, will probably just make the episode happen. Um, so, <laughs> uh, Scott Stevenson and him are the two people where uh, <laughs> the interviewer's job is, it's like the dream job, like a lot of views, a lot of likes, and um, yeah, yeah you, you, you just get to sit there and every once in a while just uh, keep, keep things moving along. Yeah, I like, I like Scott a lot. I've listened to some of his podcasts. He's a very bright individual. Yeah, we just had this two-hour talk on uh, enhanced uh, versus natural hmm. lifting and dieting, which oh, wow, was, okay. um, yeah, it was a very, very interesting talk. Um, lots of new info for me. Um, basically, our topic for today is uh, energy expenditure in general and how much that helps with fat loss and kind of uh, keeping our overall energy balance in check. And uh, I guess under that heading falls a lot of things like cardio, neat. So uh, we will get into all of that. So Lyle, I guess my first question to you is, um, in a general sense, how much do you think that cardio or trying to move more purposefully helps in the context of fat loss relative to just uh, eating less? Um, okay, so just to qualify this, because it does come up, right? So for years, they were like, okay, diet, diet versus exercise, exercise only, like, what's the best way to go about it? And, and what they would find, right, is like diet only, diet plus any sort of exercise would generate better results. But then we get into what type of exercise and blah, blah, blah. When I talk about cardio, I'm going to make an assumption, just to make keep this simpler, is that the person is doing weight training. Right, because whenever, as one data set that kind of ties to your question, in a very real sense, cardio predominantly just burns calories. And they have done at least one study where they just did calorie restriction plus weights or cardio plus weights to, to generate the same deficit. And the results were identical, right? As long as there's a deficit in your weight. Training. So I'm going to assume going forward that the person is doing proper weight training. And then the question is, is cardio beneficial on top of that? And the answer is, of course, as it always is with me, it depends, right? Exercise is often suggested as this ultimate panacea, especially by exercise physiologists, and they're wrong. Study after study after study, exercise by itself does very little, at least for most people. Now, there's a lot of reasons. One, most of these studies give trivial amounts, right? 30 minutes of brisk cardio might burn a couple hundred calories over what you'd burn sitting, sitting down. And they do that three times a week. Well, do the math. That's a whopping 600, maybe not, let's say 900 calories a week. That's maybe a pound a month. And that assumes there's no other changes, right? Unsupervised cardio studies generate less fat loss than supervised, because let's face it, people aren't training very hard or they're not training as hard as they think. So by and large, exercise alone, unless you can do a lot of it, right? I do remember one paper and they threw people into like, two hours a day, six days a week. And they lost a tremendous amount of fat. But that's a ton of aerobic activity. Like, there's a ton of cardio. There's another one, uh, two studies, actually, and I cited these in the women's book, that they built them up over time from 100 calories six days a week, which is about 10, 15 minutes, to 600 calories. But it took them six months to get there. So if you can do a ton of it, cardio can have a huge benefit. The problem is, usually the only people who can burn a ton of calories through aerobic activity or cardio are trained endurance athletes. And they don't usually need to lose fat, right? For the average person, no matter what Orange Theory says, no matter what your watch says, 
number of calories you're burning in an hour of low to moderate intensity cardio just aren't that much. If you're super big, if you're if you're big and but even so. So in that sense, not really. I mean, it's it's generally easier to eat 300 calories less than to go, you know, trudge along on the to either do 30 minutes of hard cardio, which you might get 10 calories a minute, or you know, damn near an hour if you're getting five calories a minute. Well, that's one way to look at it. There are other situations. This is generally for leaner, smaller dieters. Once calories get below a certain point, you can only take so many out, right? One of the, the, the things you, you, you'll see, difference between like women and, and male, female and male contest prep, like big males will go, oh yeah, I don't even do cardio. I just lift and cut my calories. Right, you've got a maintenance of 3,000 calories a day. You can take 500 calories a day out and still get plenty of food. If you're a smaller female with a maintenance of 1,800, you can't do that. You can't take 500 calories a day out of your diet and not be starving because you've got so little food to work with. So that's an issue. Even during a diet, as calories start to come down, you reach a limit of how low they can go. Cardio may become beneficial there. But at a fundamental level for most people, and Asa might address the fast cardio thing, one of my recent, my recent bug up my butt articles that I wrote. But if you're talking about the general public, the amount of cardio, cardio most people can do is fairly insignificant. Uh, it's usually easier, especially if their food patterns are bad, to remove calories from the diet. And until they really get trained, that's just going to be the reality, right? Because even when I say that most people can't burn a lot of calories from cardio, that's initially. Well, if while they're dieting, you build up their volume and intensity, at some point, they may be able to burn more. And of course, doing cardio in premise allows you, to, like I said, allows you to eat a little bit more. So, you know, let's say right now you can only burn 300 calories with cardio. So take 300 out of your diet. Well, at the point where you can burn 600 with cardio, which is a lot, you can add those 300 calories back and eat a little more food. But that's going to take time. I've got a, a case study, female cyclist uh, in Australia, uh, got injured, gained fat, lost muscle, getting back into it. Her nutrition was controlled by Louise Burke, who's who I want to be. She's one of two people I want to be when I grow up. The other is Robert Sapolsky. And at one point in her, her preparation, she was doing five-hour bike rides. So she was probably burning 2,000 to 2,500 calories. Her calorie intake, still at a deficit, was enormous because she was her, her daily energy expenditure was probably 4,000 calories a day. So she was able to eat 3,500 and be on a diet. Well, unless you can ride your bike for five hours a day, that doesn't apply to you. Right. Um, so it's uh, something that we are going to come back to, I guess, uh, later on as well. But one sort of um, reason, I think, why cardio became less and less popular over time, and that's one of the main kind of, well, not newer findings, but one of the things that we started to discover over time is that uh, there is this compensation effect right so you do a lot of cardio early on in the day and then you move around less uh, later on so um, I guess what things would that depend on because like logically I would think that it would almost seem like cardio would benefit more sedentary people who wouldn't move around a lot anyway so like if for the rest of the day you're just laying on the couch and 
playing PlayStation anyway, then right. you, you, you don't really have anything to debit from, <laughs> regardless of how much cardio did, you did earlier. So, like, uh, what do you tend to see and, like, uh, what does the research say about this? Like, how much does this compensation effect actually happen? And then I guess there must be a tipping point where, like, okay, if you run a marathon, your right. body is not going to, like, oh, I didn't burn any extra fat because my body just compensated. Right. And so the answer, once again, is, you know, it, it depends. So when we talk about compensation, we've got a few things going on. And I don't know if you want to get into Ponzer's model now or wait till, till after this little sub-discussion. We've got four components of energy expenditure, right? Resting metabolic, right? The thermic effect of food, which is generally so insignificant as to be utterly pointless to even care about. Uh, the thermic effect of activity, formal exercise. And then NEAT, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, which is the calories you burn in non-formal exercise. So fidgeting, walking, general moving, all that stuff. So when you exercise, in premise, there could be a compensation in any of those. Okay, well, not thermic effect of food because that's just related to food intake. That never adjusts that I've ever seen. Um, right? So, oh, let's say in premise... You did cardio. Would basal metabolic rate go down? No, not really. If you if you lost weight or fat, it would because you're smaller. I don't recall ever seeing anything with a real adaptation. Although I'll talk about the marathon example when I talk about Ponser. Um, it's hard to say that doing more exercise would make your exercise burn less, right? There's this idea that, oh, you become more efficient in cardio. Well, no, not really. Changes in efficiency, very small, very long-lived. And even if you did, right, what people confuse are like, okay, so you start and you're walking at three and a half miles an hour and six weeks later, it's easier. Oh, you're more efficient. No, you're fitter, right? <laughs> your fitness is improved, so you can go a little faster. But the calories to move a given body, a given distance are not going to change significantly. This is like saying that if you were in the weight room and you're squatting 75 kilos for eight and six weeks later, it's easier. Oh, you've become more efficient. No, you haven't. You've gotten stronger because that, that idea was used to go, oh, cardio is useless because you burn less calories. Well, A, no, you don't, but B, you can do more because you're fitter. That'd be like saying that, oh, strength training doesn't work for muscle growth because you get more efficient. No, you put more weight on the bar. But people got very anti-cardio and made up a lot of nonsense against it. So, but there's also another factor that could compensate and that's food intake. And frequently when you're looking at studies where the predicted weight loss is not what, the real world weight loss is not what's predicted, you frequently see people eating more. So that is one adaptation, but that's kind of separate to what you're talking about. So what you're asking about is, okay, if you do cardio in the morning, let's say you burn 300 calories. Well, what if you move around less later in the day so that you burn 100 calories less than you otherwise would? Well, in your mind, you created a 300-calorie deficit, but to your body, you created a 200-calorie deficit because your body compensated. The data on this is kind of mixed, at least based on what I've seen, and it depends on a few factors. It absolutely happens in older people. You take older people and put them and have them do a bunch of cardio in the morning. They get so fatigued that they move around a lot less later in the day. In younger individuals, I don't know that it's been shown to be quite as profound, but it depends on what you're doing. And so there's a, a paper out there, um, again, I cited in the women's book, and they either gave folks to 300 calories a day with cardio or 600. And it was pretty much right out of the gate, right? And they found that the 300 calorie per day group like burn lost a bunch of fat, but the 600 calorie per day didn't lose double, which suggests a compensation. Could it, and I don't remember the specifics if they measured other components of activity, could have been more food intake. It could have been decreases in meat from fatigue. But I think that gets into how are we doing it? If I take you, if I, sorry, if I take a beginner, right, 
and I throw them into an Orange Theory boot camp. They're going to go get beat on for 45 minutes. They're going to crawl out of there and go, oh, man, they said I just burned 1,000 calories. Well, A, they're lying. No, you didn't. But B, even if you did, which you didn't, you're going to go home and sit on the couch all day because you're exhausted. Now, if you take someone and you build them up over six months so their fitness improves, by the time you get there, they might not do that. So I think, I think you've got interacting factors, how much you're doing, what intensity, certainly, right? That was a big issue that I had with, you know, all of the high intensity intervals and this and that and the other. Like, if you just go walk on the treadmill for an hour, yeah, you don't burn a lot of calories, but you're also not tired the rest of the day. And I doubt you'll see a big adjustment in need either way. If you go hammer for an hour, like when I used to do hour long, you know, threshold bike rides, yeah, you're tired the rest of the day and you probably move around more. So I think there's volume, frequency, intensity, age, fitness, uh, duration is all is all playing into this. And then I think there's another factor, and this is going to lead me right into Ponser's work. Because I will say that I agree with him more than I disagree with him, but there are things that he that I think where, well, he's right, but he's wrong. There is the conscious component. If we're looking at people in the real world or people in these studies right because the intervention is we brought them in put them in do cardio and then we saw what happened and we didn't see the predicted fat loss maybe they ate more maybe this maybe that this is people who are not making a conscious choice or not consciously aware of these potential compensations because what have we really seen change among other well, i mean among many in the physique world right physique dieters who get very lean and are really pushing themselves for months on end this happens dieting tends to make you move around less depending they're using step counters because they have to consciously force themselves to move more. Because left to their own devices, their body, who they are starving to death, literally, will go, whoa, go sit on. So suddenly their, their calculated deficit and their real deficit aren't equal. So I think we also have a difference of, is the person just in the general public? I take Joe Blow and go, boom, go do your 30 minutes of cardio. You'll lose and tell them some magic amount of fat loss, which is a lie anyway. Or is it someone where I go, okay, look, you're going to go do this, but I need you to consciously be aware to not sit around more later in the day. And I think that's a big variable. So the answer to your question is, yeah, kind of, but no, not really. And it depends. Right. Um, one other thing which you mentioned in the beginning is sort of how, yeah, when calories go really low, then it makes more and more sense to include more cardio. So this is another kind of a contentious issue. Uh, that not everybody agrees on, but you know just how much extra energy expenditure actually correlates with higher appetite as well. So, like, right. um, how much do you really gain by you know burning three hundred more calories and not having to take out three hundred calories? And then I I'm sure you've seen you know the J-shaped curve of yeah. energy expenditure and appetite. So uh, yeah, like what 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 do we do with that information? Because like I'm sure there is from my anecdotal experience, there is actually a point where yeah, I get to eat more. But I don't really like, I mean, I like eating. So eating bigger portions is always fun. But in terms right. of actually not being hungrier, it like doesn't really help at this point. So I might as well just move a bit less and eat a bit less. So sure. what do you think? And again, I think we've got, you know, interacting variables with that is even in the appetite stuff, huge variability, right? And for whatever reason, women seem to show more variability than men. Because when you look at a lot of weight loss studies that are comparing the two, 
the men on average always lose weight. Like when you look at individual results, they're highly variable. It can be like one kilo to 10. But the women, for as many as lose, some will gain. And that's because they're eating more. So there's a huge variation there. And again, we're also assuming here, is the person consciously controlling their calories or not paying any attention to it? Um, so far as exercise stimulating appetite, that's one of Gary Tobbs's favorite things to argue. And is there some truth to it? Yeah. But in the aggregate, even studies that show that aerobic activity increase appetite or increase food intake, in general, the average food intake does not go up enough to offset the calories burned in activity. Now, even that depends. If you're looking at very lean individuals, the compensation is pretty damn near perfect. But here we're talking about, you know, sub 20% for women, sub 15% for men, not the general dieting public. The people that are doing that are also consciously controlling their calories, which is very different. When you're looking at individuals at higher body fat percentages, invariably the calories burned is still larger than the increase in appetite. Now, of course, that, in, that still decreases the deficit. If you go do a hard hour of cardio and burn 450 calories, but then you then eat more, well, you've only burned 250 extra calories. Why not just eat the same and go burn 250 extra calories, right? Like if, if doubling it gives you no greater result because you eat more or you're hungrier, well, don't double it. Just do the 250 and don't let your food intake change. That depends on intensity. Some of it depends on diet, and here I'm going to draw on data from uh, what used to be called the female athlete triad, is now called relative interdeficiency syndrome. And it's, it's an issue where frequently in athletes you see insufficient food intake to meet their activity levels. Now some of it is eating disorders, some of it is conscious restriction, but sometimes it's completely unconscious. And when you have athletes doing high-intensity activity with a very low-fat diet, especially who are eating, you know, low-energy density carb foods, they frequently end up eating less than they need because sometimes activity will blunt appetite. One of the interesting things, I know I've seen work where intervals, at least acutely, have a greater appetite blunting effect. And I think that explains some of the disconnects that used to be seen in a lot of the, the steady state versus interval studies in terms of fat loss and stuff. Because the HIT, the, the interval studies were burning far less calories and the afterburn is irrelevant, but it was blunting appetite in the short term. Maybe it goes back up in the long term. This is all really hard to study in free living people which is, of course, who most of these recommendations are for. Because, yeah, we tell, what do we tell them? Ah, the more you do, the more you lose. And it's never true. Now, if you've got, again, someone consciously controlling their calories and forcing their daily activity with a step counter, nice, um, step counter, more may work. But again, yeah, if it makes them hungrier on their diet, then that may be. So yeah, you just get into all these interacting. And I know I'm not answering any question directly, but to me, there's not a simple answer because there are so many lean individual versus over fat individual. How much cardio? How fit are they? How consciously are they controlling their food intake and their need will all sort of depend. And I think that brings us the long way around to Ponser's constrained energy model because I think that is his attempts to explain a lot of this. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, so let's um, let's get into that a bit because, like, honestly, that's um, out of all of this, that's the hardest one for me to kind of wrap my head around. Yeah. Um, 
and, and and so basically to summarize it like in 30 seconds for the listeners, Ponser, Herman Ponser, I believe, uh, yeah, I is a researcher right. who has done a lot of studies on the Hadza tribe. And basically what his conclusion is, is that even though these indigenous people, they move around all day, they live this traditional hunt, hunter-gatherer lifestyle and whatever, we don't, I, I don't know what their step counts are, but probably up yeah. in like the high 20,000s. Um, they don't burn any significantly more calories than sedentary office workers sitting at a cubicle all day. And it's just, um, it's almost like, like Dr. Herman, no, like, no, (laughs) this is wrong, but I'm sure there, it is true, but, but how could it be true? It's right for the wrong reasons, in my opinion. So just to keep people nervous, so, so Ponser's model, and he came up with this, I believe before he did that work was... There's a general assumption that the more activity you do, the more calories you'll burn in a day, right? What he calls a linear model, right? If we had 300 calories of cardio, maintenance goes up by 300, 600, 600, 900, 900. What he argued was that's not true, that while increasing activity may increase calorie expenditure to a point, eventually it will level off and become constrained due to adaptation in other parts of the system, right? Now, one of his acknowledgments, and I looked at one of his most recent papers, and I will come back to this because it's something he said in the introduction that I don't like it when scientists do this, was it's clear that at when you add lower levels of activity that there is no compensation, right? Studies clearly show this. The total daily energy expenditure does go up. But then as you add more and more and more, there is adaptations in some part of the system that tend to level this out. Right. So you can I wish we had video, but, you know, imagine a, a, an, an increasing sloping line. That would be the linear model. More means more means more. He says, yeah, more means more for a little bit. And then it it flattens out. Now, in the Hadza study versus Westerners was supposed to sort of demonstrate that. So he used doubly labeled water to measure total daily energy expenditure. It is a gold it is a gold standard method. And he showed that the extremely active Hadza Hadza or Hazda, I think it's Hadza Hadza. Thank you. Um, burned the same number of total daily calories as sedentary Westerners. Um, now, I'm not, to your point, yeah, the result is the result, right? This is what he measured using a gold standard method. And his logic was well, the heads are extremely active, and the Americans are extremely inactive. And if they have the same basic total energy expenditure, well, there's a constraint. Well, here's what kind of got left out of that equation to me the heads were like 20 kilos lighter than the Americans. So if you were to make the hads of 20 kilos heavier, they would burn stunningly more calories. If you were to have the Americans do as much activity, they would burn stunningly more calories. What I think happened in this case, and you see this sometimes, they both got to the same total energy expenditure by different different paths, right? So we have resting metabolic rate, thermic effective food, non-thermic effective active formal exercise, and obviously the hads aren't in formal activity. Neat, and that's where the walking comes in. So the heads are small, smaller BMR, lower food intake, lower TEF, same activity. We can ignore that. Huge neat. The heavier Americans, much higher BMR, much higher TEF because they're eating more. Activity we can throw out, much lower neat. You happen to reach the same place, but and here's another, here's just a personal example. So I trained a female powerlifter named Sumi Singh. She weighs about 117 pounds right now. It's like 54 kilos. But she gets like 20,000 steps a day on top of her two-hour weight training workouts. She eats 2,600 calories a day, like 20 calories a pound, which is not unheard of. 
you know, 40 something calories per kilo. Not unheard of for high level athletes. Well, I'm 175 pounds, sit in front of a computer all day, train a couple times a week, if that, these days. Her and my maintenance are pretty similar, but we get there by different paths because I outweigh her by 25 kilos. So my best metabolic rate makes up for my, if I were to do the same activity as hers, I would be burning, you know, 1200 calories more. So that's where I don't, like I said, the result was the result. And I think he tried to normalize it to body weight. And I forget how he did it. I look at this paper about a year ago and haven't looked at it since. And so like, I get where he's going with it, but I'm not sure I agree with the logic. I mean, okay, I guess what you could say is if you're that active and that causes you to lose weight, that that will be a constraint right? Because the lighter individual obviously burn less calories at rest and during, I mean, even during the walking. So I guess the fat loss per se could be a constraint. And there is some data that individuals carrying more body fat may have lower needs because you just tend not to move around as much. So maybe that is a constraint to increasing body fat and increasing BMR in the vaguest of senses, I guess. The thing is, I've never seen him make that argument. That's me making an argument. That's me making his argument for him. So, okay. So he's done other work. Like I remember his first theory papers that came out several years ago, where he sort of proposed this. And like, and I don't disagree in premise, but he also mentioned athletes, and he goes, "Look, Tour de France cyclists have shown some of the highest energy expenditures ever seen, upwards of like 50 calories per kg per day, maybe even higher than that." where they're burning 9,000 calories a day. They're on bike six hours, right? And there's a point there, there's another tipping point. By the time you're exercising the grand majority of your waking hours, there's no chance for NEAT to go down because you're either riding, eating, or sleeping, right? So at, at that extreme, you may see the tipping point get broken. Now, obviously you can't do that forever. They, they all break in about three weeks. So I think, I think you could even draw a, be a, a better curve at the low end, adding more will burn more. In some middle range, you may very well see a general plateau, especially in free-living individuals, that at the high extremes of activity, you can overcome, and especially in athletes who are controlling their calories, you can overcome any of that. To me, that, but of course, the extreme doesn't apply to most people. Most people aren't doing eight hours on a bike a day. Um, so I think there's some truth to what he's saying. And that is, and even he has said, he goes, look, at lower, at lower volumes of exercise, lower, you, there is an increase. And study after study after study shows that. But at higher, there tends to be an adaptation. Now, I want to talk about his 2016 paper. because so I read it about 45 minutes ago because I'm always organized. And in the introduction right away, I saw something that jumped out at me. And I just don't like it when scientists do this. So what he wrote was, he was examining the issue of adaptation. And he said, for example, in one study, Women and men were put on a 40-week marathon training program and saw a decrease in metabolic rate. All right. I went and pulled the paper. I'd actually read it before. Again, cited in the women's book for a different reason. So they had them train to a marathon over 40 weeks with a pretty high volume of training. Measured a bunch of stuff, including average daily metabolic rate, right, total daily energy expenditure, and sleeping metabolic rate, which is a much more accurate measure of resting metabolic truly basal energy expenditure. And what they saw was this. On average, average daily metabolic rate went up by 30%. It was between 500 to 1,000 calories a day. Women were towards the lower end, men were towards the higher end, okay? The decrease in sleeping metabolic rate was 0.2 megajoules, which is 50 calories a day. I have a problem with how he represented that study. 
I think saying that there was a significant adaptation to constrain energy expenditure, when energy expenditure over the day went up 500 to 1,000 calories, and the eight-hour sleeping metabolic rate went down by 50 per day, I don't find that an accurate representation of that paper because he left out the big part. <laughs> he left out the enormous increase in total daily energy expenditure. To me, that's when you get into diet. I mean, and he cited other papers. Fine. Some mice, apparently, when they don't have enough cow, they eat their children. Again, interesting, necessarily relevant. Don't know. But Could be for some people. <laughs> uh, you know what? That's between them and their personal deity. Um, yeah. So, and what he was looking at, they were looking at energy expenditure and like step count in, across five different cultures, including Western and, and non-Western. And what they found was that increasing step count, it was basically what I described. It was an increase to a plateau, which, again, I don't necessarily disagree with if we're looking at the general public, if we're looking at the general group of people who are not paying conscious attention to it, because the body will unconsciously adapt to many things. When, excuse me, when appetite goes up in response to exercise, it's not, I mean, yes, they're the people who go, oh, I did aerobics, I can have a milkshake. I'm not talking about them. Just talking about folks that their appetite goes up, they're not paying attention to calorie intake. But that's no different to me than being like, yeah, most people are terrible at estimating their food intake left to their own devices. If you just let your body do what it's going to, it's absolutely going to adapt like that. Does that mean it holds in all circumstances for people making sure to maintain their step count in the face of this? No. So I agree with him to a point, and I disagree with him to another point. And anytime a scientist miscites a paper like that, I always get red flags. I've seen it a lot of, because they assume no one's going to check it, but nobody ever expects me. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the body weight thing, and I, I haven't looked into his stuff uh, in like the last couple of weeks uh, before that, I was uh, reading through some of his stuff and also listened to a couple of podcasts with him. And I'm not sure if he mentioned this, but but let's assume like hypothetically, if he was to mention that, oh, by the way, we also like equate it for body weight because that could be another explanation. He, and we still found no significant differences. Would there be a comeback to that still? Or well, at that point, he, it's like... And he tried to do that. I'm, I, like I said, I read the paper like a year ago, and I forget how he statistically made this balance out. But I still don't see right because if you so, for example, he may you know he I'm looking at the paper right now. Uh, total energy expenditure plotted against fat-free mass as it goes up. Energy expenditure goes up because of course it does. But I don't I don't see. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it basically. you mean normalize it in terms of like calorie burn per kilo. Yeah, and again, it might very well be true, but like I said, I think they're getting there by very different mechanisms. Is it truly an adaptation? Is it truly an adaptation where the the increase in body weight in Americans is causing the decrease in need? Or is it just that socioculturally we don't have to do it? If you transplanted that person from America into Hadzaland, God, that sounds horrible. That sounds racist as hell. Sorry, <laughs> into wherever wherever they live, which is just as bad. Um into an area where activity was forced. Let's put it that way so I don't sound horrible. Um, yeah, their calorie expenditure was going. Now, would they then lose weight? Is that an adaptation? Yeah, but I don't think I've ever seen him offer that. He's saying that other components of energy expenditure go down. I don't think he's ever actually, to my knowledge, he's never said, well, the, adapt, the, the compensation is the decrease in body weight. But I could be wrong. I haven't read much of his stuff of late. Um, so yeah, I mean, like I said, I think he's the, I think the result is right, but possibly for the wrong reason, if that makes any sense. 
Hey guys, just a brief interruption. If you like my content, value my opinion, and find my methods for getting and staying lean and building muscle intriguing, then I'm just letting you know that I do have a comprehensive, 100% individualized online coaching service. If you'd like to have me in your corner and use my best methods to achieve your fitness goals, then check out the show description for more information about how you can most easily reach me and apply. I will follow up with you and you and I together will determine if slash exactly how I can best help you to reach your goals. Whether it's my one-on-one or group coaching service, we will find a system that is the best fit for you. All right, that's it. Let's continue with the show. Yeah. So I guess like a question that a lot of people are are wondering and we're like sort of dancing around it and we we, we touched on it. But um, so there is the issue of compensation on the one hand. What about this whole idea of, um, as you mentioned, you get fitter over time. Now, is there a point where your body like quote unquote gets accustomed to that high activity where it becomes like less calorie burning, like sort of similarly to, uh, you know, adaptive thermogenesis as you're dieting and, you know, that 2000 calories is no longer a 500 calorie deficit. Like, does there come a point potentially where you become like so accustomed to be doing 20,000 steps that earlier on it was actually burning 500 extra calories now it's not anymore because like your body is whatever just used to it what, what do you think about that i don't think so i think any difference would be because you've lost weight and you're smaller nothing i've seen like so the changes in, in energetic efficiency which is basically calories burned for per intensity unit change microscopically right if you're looking at cyclists it can take years of daily riding to to alter to alter efficiency by a few percent so no now when you diet it goes down right uh oh liebel 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 l-i-e-b-e-l has done some really good work on this where they can very in a very controlled fashion overfeed people to 10 percent above normal body weight or diet them down when you diet and lose 10 percent body weight your calorie burn during low during low intensity activity absolutely goes down your energetic efficiency of the muscle absolutely changes by about 10%. So dieting will do it, but will just getting fitter do it? No, because physically it takes the same amount of mechanical work to move a given mass a given distance. So I don't see, I mean, if somebody's got research saying I'm wrong, assuming it's even been measured, I'd love to see it. But from a purely physiological, energetic standpoint, I, I don't I don't see it. Because um, one thing, that without getting super duper into the weeds on this, right? Because what way we're measuring calorie intake is something called oxygen uptake, right? That's what we do, indirect calorimetry and blah, 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 blah. And someone asked me, and this is in my Facebook group a while back, was like, okay, but like, why does heart rate go down, right? What, what is actually going going on you know if heart rate is going down doesn't that mean go no the reason heart rate goes down is because you're able to carry more oxygen in the bloodstream the muscle is able to extract it better the vo2 is the same for a given intensity level sorry hang on well there's a shift you're still so the calorie burn to me given mass a given distance is just not going to change that much unless you died unless you're smaller than it absolutely will and one thing is Liebel showed and some of it is physiological adaptation when he put had people put a weight vest back on that um 
offset a large amount of it. Didn't upset all of it. So some of it is within the muscle, but that was a dieting thing. That was a weight loss thing. I haven't seen anything to say that it happens with, with increased fitness. Because muscular efficiency during activity is just, it's not very, very, very variable. In male cyclists, in cyclists, it varies between 20 and 25% between people. That's a, it just doesn't change much. So I don't think so now. I think people th think it doesn't because it doesn't feel as hard, but that just means you're fitter. Right. Um, now, now, what do you, so um, step counts and these uh, pedometer devices or apps became a lot more popular uh, in recent years. And yeah. I think uh, from a just personal experience bias, as well as just kind of logically thinking about it, it seems like for a good reason to me. And so I guess if I contrast what people have traditionally done, which is, okay, I'm dieting, so I'm going to do X amount of cardio per week, and that's going to be in my calendar. I'm going to do it three times a week, four times a week, an hour a day, whatever. Like the reason I think why a lot of people started gravitating more towards step counts is because that potential compensation effect is there less because it's almost... So like, let's say someone has this very adaptive metabolism and their energy expenditure is just very auto-regulating in the sense yeah. that, okay, if I move a lot earlier in the day, then I'm just very prone to be sitting on the couch. To me, the reason step counts seem to work well is because it's almost impossible for most people in any kind of practical scenario to actually reach like a really meaningful amount of steps in one large bout. Like if you go for an right. hour long walk, you might get in like 5,000 steps. That's not bad. But I mean, if you want to get up to like 15,000, which a lot of people in kind of uh, the fitness world are now getting, like right. you will have to like move around quite a bit over oh, the yeah. course of the day and your need is going to be generally higher as well. Would you agree sure. with that? And, and I think, I mean, a lot of the focus on that, and I should just mention that uh, I will I will always blame Levine for creating this idea that scientists should be comedians in their paper titles because he's the one that he's the first one that did that with resistance to weight gain a neat explanation it's like oh. really he started all this he started all this and now everyone has to be a damn comedian in their in their papers anyway you know he's really the first one that identified that well maybe this is what's this is the difference between why two you know in, in weight and fat gain between two people and as that data really developed, like we now know that there really isn't a slow metabolism. Everyone's like, oh, I have a slow metabolic rate. No, if you're not hypothyroidal, no, you don't. What you have is low NEAT because NEAT between any two individuals can vary 2,000 calories a day. It's higher in less well-developed countries. It's lower in Western countries. Um just because of the nature of our world, right? In the US, unless you live in, in the Northeast, cities are not set up for walking. You have to drive everywhere. We don't have to get up and do stuff around the house by and large. Why vacuum the house when you've got a Roomba? Um, things of that nature. So, and part of it is, you know, we try to compensate that with, ah, eat less, move more, where move more meant formal activity. That has not worked real well for the three or four decades it's been proposed. I mean, it can for some of the reasons we talked about, but it, it was then realized that, okay, neat, increasing that low intensity, low level activity daily can have as much, if not a greater impact on daily calorie expenditure as formal exercise without feeling like it with much less effort, right? Now, I'm just, these are made up numbers, so do not swear me to these, right? Let's say you've got an eight hour workday. You sit in front of the computer. 
you're burning very little. If you move to a standing desk, let's say you burn an extra calorie a minute. And I don't know if that's right or not, but bear with me. Over an eight hour day, that's a 480 calorie extra expenditure. That would be a hard, moderate hour, uh, or an hour of moderate intensity activity, 45 minutes of hard activity, and you'll never notice it. Let's say moving to a walking desk is two calories extra a minute. Now you're burning 960 extra calories a day, and you'll never notice it, because a walking desk is like two miles an hour. So there is a lot of potential for that. And then you got into the step count, which was, I think, more of a quantifiable and measurable, certainly, daily measure. And it was funny, like last year, I saw someone who was like, eh, 10,000 calories made up, this and that. I go, well, here's four or five studies that I guarantee this is exactly where the numbers came from. So don't talk about stuff that you don't know, you know nothing about. But that's the fitness industry, trite Instagram memes. Anyway, so, so you've got that. We're clearly increasing step count can can be significant, right? I believe every 2,000 to 2,500 steps, it's about a mile, and I couldn't convert that to kilometers if you paid me to, but that'll burn at about 100 calories. I'm, I'm glad you approved that number because that's what I've been spewing at all the time. <laughs> I had to go look it up a while back, and like it depends a little bit on stride length and body weight, but as an average that's fine. If you're real small, you'll probably burn a little bit less. If you're real big, probably burn a little bit more. If you've got short legs, it'll take more. You'll cover a larger distance for a given step count. There are calculators online if you really want to drive yourself nuts. It's about 100 calories. It's close enough. So if you were to go 10,000 10, steps a day, that's 400 extra calories a day. That's 45 minutes of hard cardio. That's an hour of medium cardio. That's a lot without really doing, without exerting yourself too hard. Go to 20,000 steps a day. A powerlifter, because she's on her feet constantly. Between her training, her life, her job, she's burning 800 calories a day just moving around. And that's why she gets to eat all the food. That is enormous. Now, that's fantastic, but how do we quantify that? That became the next issue, right? Now, I'm old. I don't know if you remember the body bug. It's one of the first first calorie measurement devices back in the late 2000s. Uh, no. It was, no. It, was, it was really interesting. They used it in The Biggest Loser, which is was where it was first sort of used. And it had like five different measurements. It had an accelerometer, which measures movement. It had temperature, maybe heart rate. I forget what the others were. And it put all that into a magic equation, and you had to pay a membership to the website. And it would give you total daily energy expenditure. Now, I don't know how accurate it was, but it gave you data. And it was very interesting to see the 24-hour data. Okay. Here's training, here's the day, here's the evening. It gave you feedback because that gives you the ability to sort of become aware. And like, let's is this any different than tracking your food? Is this any different than putting it into a food app? It gives you measurable data. And like the other trite coaches like to say, if you're not, if you're not assessing, you're guessing. Har, har, har. Uh, rhyming for fun and profit. So not only does it give you data, Real-world data rather than, well, I think I move around a lot. Yeah, I got news for you. No, you don't. <laughs> you think you do, but you're wrong. Just like you think you eat a 1,000 calories a day. It gave data. Not only that, it gave you the ability to consciously change that data. What I saw even early on, when people were able to look at that, it suddenly became a, well, those are rookie numbers. I got to get those numbers up. They started trying to beat the numbers. Consciously, it became a competition. That could lead to the whole thing. The future of fitness is gamifying it. I know I've said that before. 
I'll keep saying it. Turning exercise into a game where it's not about I must go, I must walk 10,000 steps today to be fitter, but I want to beat that number. I want to get achievement unlocked for beating that from some stupid program that gives me a Facebook beep, 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 and gives me an, an immediate dopamine reward. That's the future. And these things can give you, give you that feedback and give you that, that type of response. For, for the lean physique dieter, it became even more critical because in the depths of what is controlled starvation, I don't care how much training they're doing, they're, they were laying around all, all night because they were, they're exhausted. Being able to go, and, which means that their predicted deficit is lower than calculated, which means their predicted fat loss is lower, or sorry, their real world fat loss is lower than predicted, which means they get behind on their dieting, which means they don't make it to contest lean. Now they can go, even if they're not trying to actively increase it, I just want to keep it from dropping. But without that visual data, you can't do that. So I think that's where those have really played a role, or played multiple roles. Giving you the data, giving you the feedback, maybe making you want to be like, I got to beat that number. Today I'm going to go 100 steps more than yesterday because I want to beat, beat that value. So yeah, I think they have incredible utility. Um, on a number of levels, just like, you know, we are we are entering the, the realm now of not only dystopian fascist regime, regimes, but also, I mean, the amount of data we're going to have access to in this regard in terms of movement, calorie burn, you know, I don't know how accurate there, you've got these things that are supposed to measure, you know, RER, RQ, to see what, what, what you're burning, to get all that data, sleep, trackers, all that stuff. I mean, it's overwhelming, and I think it drives people just as crazy as anything else, but it at least is allowing you to determine what's going on, and at least with that data, you can make an actionable choice. So yeah, I wouldn't wear one because the number would depress me, but yeah. Yeah, yeah it is actually, uh, it can be quite a remarkable experience because whenever I travel home, because here where I'm living right now, I don't own a car, I walk everywhere. So my step count is just naturally, like always at a decent level, even in, like on my most inactive day, I might get in only like 5,000 steps. But right. often, I guess psychologically, we equate being busy and being stressed out with being active. Right. And then when I'm at home and I drive everywhere, and then I feel like, oh man, I'm, I'm doing stuff all day. I'm like coming and going, but I'm sitting in a freaking car. And when I look at my step count, I'm like, fuck, like it's 6 p.m. It's only been like 2,000 steps. Like, how did this happen? So right. it is quite interesting. But um, so what I, I wanted to mention is um, yeah, anecdotally, if I look at some of these uh, bodybuilders in the public sphere who are sort of famous on having to diet on poverty macros, as they call right. it. Yes. If um, Because I'm following them somewhat closely, what I tend to see is that they tend to be quite sedentary. And some of them, up until pretty recently, for example, Eric Helms was kind of uh, almost like vocal about the fact that like, no, I, I don't want to get obsessive over this. I sure. don't want my life to be about calorie burning. So I'm not counting steps. Recently, he actually did start using a step count as well. So maybe the next time around he does a contest prep, he won't have to crush himself on like 1,200 calories as an 80-kilo male. Right. Um, Dave McConey, who interviewed you a bunch of times as well, yeah. uh, him and I had this uh, back and forth where um, like he was like we are very similar size, like height, weight, all of that stuff. And, you know, I get beach lean or even leaner on like, you know, 2,200 calories and um but i get in like 15000 steps a day he 
had to like crush himself on like you know a thousand calories a day um and sometimes he doesn't even reach like five thousand steps a day and we sort of had this back and forth where he was saying that well like we've seen it time and time again that cardio is just not that effective so i don't really think it would make a big difference and i think you could get similarly lean on only five thousand steps and i don't think I would get much of a boost if I bumped mine up to 10,000. So I guess uh, you be the judge. I'm I'm winning that argument then. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, uh, it, it depends on what you mean, you know, by, you know, a major boost. If you double your steps, you burn 200 extra calories per day. Is that staggering? No, it's 1,400 calories a week. It's 2,800 calories. You know, it's, it's a pound every two weeks. And it's, if it prevents you having to eat a thousand calories a day, I mean, there was a time, this was a very eye-opening experience to me back in my late twenties, early thirties. And, you know, I was whatever, 165, 165 pounds, which is 77 ish kilos or something. And I lifted twice a week for about an hour. I did, I went and did my treadmill drudge. Um, I actually got, that's why I did most of my reading. I was so much more caught up on on my reading then because I had something had to kill an hour and that was it and I had to diet on eight eight calories per pound I had to diet at 1400 calories at a body weight of 165 because my daily activity was just staggeringly low now if I'd added a 10,000 steps a day I would have been able to eat 400 calories more I would have been at you know 11 calories per pound that's to me that's a big difference that that was you know that's an extra meal because 1400 calories that was four 350 calorie meals if I had had four more calories to play with, that would have been an extra meal or actually making those meals almost almost worth eating because this is before intermittent fasting. We didn't do it that way back then. And um, so, yeah, I think, you know, it kind of makes the point. Like you said, you're able to diet on double the calories because you now now the difference might be right here. We get into free living versus conscious choice. Your life and many people's lives require that they move around this much. If you don't have a car, you don't have a lot of other options. I mean, yes, bus, public transit, if that's available, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That even that may still be different than going, okay, I got to force myself to walk and move around more, right? Even with the neat stuff, when Levine first identified it, it was pretty much all unconscious fidgeting, changing posture. Originally, that's what neat was. And then it came to encompass non-formal activity that could be conscious. Park further away from the store and force yourself to walk. Take the stairs instead of the escalator. All that sort of thing. That came later. But some people do it naturally. My grandmother gardened three hours a day. She burned, it's amazing. Three hours of gardening will burn more calories than an hour of weight training. It's totally depressing, but it's the reality of it. But that wasn't a chore for her because that was what she did. That may be different than consciously having to do it just in a psychological sense. It's the same, the effect is the same, but yeah. It, if he doesn't want to do that, then no amount of, of uh, you know, data feedback is going to give it to them. And I don't disagree with Eric. Yeah, can people become psychotic about this? Sure. People become psychotic about fit day. There's been research on this. Like people get completely in. I did it when I was younger. The issue I have with Eric saying that, and, and I take issue with not just him, experienced dieters often say things that don't apply to normal humans, right? I knew physique dieters that I met back in the 2000s who were like, oh, I don't count calories. I know how much to eat. 
Every couple of weeks, I take out a portion of starchy carbs. They do it by feel and by what they're seeing. And you can do that when you've got a decade of experience. The same problem with the people who go, oh, I diet intuitively. A, no, you don't, because I've seen what you eat. But B, you're a rigid dieter for a decade. Unconsciously, you know exactly how much you're eating. You're following an unconscious set of rules. Eric may not have to force himself because he knows how to diet because he's been doing that a decade and a half. And even he's apparently, if I understood what you were saying, even he's like, yeah, I'm going to use a step counter during contest prep. Should you do it every day? No. And if you're, once it's habit and if you're active and you don't have to think about it, great. Is his experience indicative of most of the world? I don't know. I don't know what he does all day. I know what I do all day, which is play video games and argue on the internet because, you know, I got to have a hobby. And yeah, it would really, you know, for me, I would have to consciously do it to force myself to walk more. And that'd be great. So individual experiences, if you're, you know, be like you going, oh, yeah, yeah, I don't think about it. You don't have a choice. I got an argument a couple of years ago, several years ago in my group, talking about overweight individuals, not moving much, why exercise is useless. And this one guy is like, well, I worked this job where I had to walk eight hours and I lost a ton of weight. Exercise works. I'm like, are you daft? You didn't choose to do that. You didn't have a damn choice because it was do that or get fired. So stop using this argument or trying to make it sound like this is trivial to do. That was your job. It's like joining the military. You don't get a choice to get hurt. Right. So. So, yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely think you're you're right um, that if you're on poverty macros, being able to eat more is always a good thing. I mean, some people like being hungry and aren't don't have a problem with it. But if you're having to go to extremely low calories, can't and you can't tr necessarily train more and training necess doesn't necessarily burn a lot. Then, yeah, neat can neat can be the difference uh, in being able to do that. So, yeah. Yeah. So I guess uh, some summarizing points um, for one. Uh, at the extremes, a higher step count can definitely make oh, sure. a meaningful difference. So if um, I, I just literally got a client email today and he was saying that, well, this past uh, two weeks, step count was around 9,000. So I will make an effort to bump it up to 10,000. I'm like, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah the, the difference the, there at, is at, insignificant, right? Yeah, yeah. But I, I know some people, uh, I have some clients who will literally get in like, you know, 1500 to 2000 steps a day, because now they're in home office. And yes. it's it's besides just going to the toilet and to the kitchen, like they just don't have to move. So if they can get it up to 10,000, oh, like sure. that's, you know, like enormous, we, we will have to cut the calorie reduction from your current intake by half if you do that so yeah, that's, that's going a, to make a big difference yeah and I've, I've i'm doing consultations now and i would say at least 25 percent of them are from people who were like yeah i had a really active lifestyle i was going to the gym and then the world caught fire and now i sit at home every day and either i'm gaining weight or i have to eat really cut my calories to avoid you know to maintain or lose weight and it's like yeah, in small changes make small differences. But if your eight-hour activity level goes from moderate to zilch or to zero, nil, that has an enormous difference and makes an enormous difference in your calorie expenditure. Not to mention something we didn't touch on when you asked about the J-curve on exercise and, and appetite. And, and there is. What, what we know is that very, very low levels of activity, typical in the Western world, appetite is not well-regulated. And then when you get into, and I don't have, I can't quantify this, 
moderate amounts of activity. And, and at the time, I don't think it's really been separated between formal exercise and, and NEAT, but it kind of doesn't matter. Appetite regulation improves. Suddenly the body, body is better at auto-regulating some of those. And then as activity goes up and up and up, you may see an increase in appetite. So it's very much, at, at both at the low extreme and the high extreme, you see, you see differences, but for different reasons. The low end, the body's not auto-regulating well. The high end, activity makes you hungrier or can. One other thing completely unrelated that I forgot to mention with regard to Ponzer's work is at least in his, his earliest conceptualizations, and let's see, I've got his original paper somewhere, um, or his original editorial. Oh, uh, no, that's a popular article. Okay. Uh, okay. My program just crapped out. Anyway, he, he did suggest that it's also possible that physiologically people have different set points, I believe that's the word he used, for daily activity. And I don't know that that's necessarily been shown, but I think there's probably some logic to it, right? In the same way that, and this, this actually lies in the dopamine system. There's research going way back on that, that how that system is wired physiologically can impact on spontaneous daily activity, enjoyment of exercise. Of course, dopamine is tied in with food intake. I think frequently what you see is that folks with a certain dopamine system don't enjoy exercise, don't have high spontaneous activity, and tend to get more reward from food. So they get that double whammy, that, that thrifty, thrifty genotype. And then you've got people at the opposite extreme who have lots of spontaneous activity without really thinking about it too hard. Uh, enjoy activity, have an appetite system that regulates pretty well. They're the ones that are, you know, protected from from weight gain in the modern environment. So I know he suggested that. And I think, mean, you know, obviously if you look at his data free living, there's a lot of variation, but he's drawing a line through a cloud, basically. When you look at the data on this, it's so noisy and going, this is the relationship. Um, but there's clearly pretty significant individual variation in this. And like I said, Differences, variation in NEAT between 82 people can be 2,000 calories, the same body weight. That explains the quote-unquote slow metabolism. It's just low daily NEAT. Yeah, it's kind of a random point. Uh, I don't know if you've had this experience. Uh, I know you're not coaching much anymore, but you're doing consultations. I don't know if you've been uh, like calculating calorie requirements recently to, to many people, but I don't know if you did, then probably this sounds familiar when someone signs up and let's say they're 165 pounds, 30% um, body fat, and like very sedentary. <laughs> and then you're just like adding up the numbers of like how much this person will have to eat. It's like, fuck, like, how do I even tell this person <laughs> that this will be their calorie intake? Like if it's, you know, when, when at least you can give something like over 2000 calories to like a dude. But like yeah. when someone is in high in body fat, very sedentary, lifts like three times a week, it's like, dude, like you won't get to eat, eat a lot, especially if you're like really after the goal of losing fat fast. Like that's going to be that's going to be some bird food for you. I'm sorry. So you kind of have to choose. Like, do you want to move more or? Yeah, it's depress it's depressing as hell. Um, it really is in in COVID land. People's activity is reduced so significantly. Um, and actually, what I've what I've ended up doing because it is like it just sucks to eat that that little calorie. Um, that low of a calorie level every day so actually what i've been suggesting almost you know more often than not is alternate 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 day fasting 
just because that's the only way to create a deficit, right? Like if your maintenance is 1500 you can't eat a thousand every day. I'm like, fine, eat 1500 three days a week and you're going to eat four to 500 the other. And that way you can at least have some normalcy in your life. So, so yeah, but it is, it's, it's absolutely true. Um, because based on metabolic rate in terms of cows per pound is lower when your body fat's higher, when activity is low, you know, when your need is 5,000 steps or less and your formal activity is low, you know, back in the day, we would say, you know, maintenance, 14 to 16 calories per pound, that's 30 to 36-ish calories per kilo, something like that, um, a little more than double. And that was great, except that that assumed A, a certain body fat percentage, and B, a certain level of activity. Even, even the old World Health Organization numbers, they're like, oh, yeah, if you're just average person gets a BMR multiplier of 1.4 to 1.7, yeah, no, they don't. Nobody I've met in the modern world, or almost nobody, has a 1.7 basal metabolic rate requirement without a ton of exercise. They're basing that data from 40 years ago when the world didn't automate everything. And I'm finding people now that, yeah, sorry, you used to be able to diet on 12 calories a pound. Now your maintenance is 12 calories a pound. You're going to be dieting on 9 to 10 or lower. Sucks to be you. And that is just the reality of super reduced daily activity levels. Now that may change, you know, once the world goes back to normal. But yeah, you, I, I, I've done, I've actually done two and just this, uh, one of the con or one of the first consults I did. And he was like, look, he lived in Dubai and he's like, um, it's, I can't do Celsius. It was 120 degrees Fahrenheit during the summer, which, uh, near that's 48 degrees celsius that's when you walk outside and you burst into flame he's like so cardio not an option because <laughs> he doesn't have any equipment in his house i go okay fair enough not really a lot of opportunity to increase your activity given that uh that environment so yeah it sucks but that's that's the world we live in right now yeah uh, another recommendation that i've been giving out to some people and in general i i hate giving these sorts of recommendations because it's kind of the same as um when the lockdowns hit and uh, all the like the entire fitness world was freaking out about gyms being closed and then a couple of uh, bright youtubers were like how to make gains at home and it's just invest into this 2000 calorie home gym and that was like one week into the lockdown um now it, that recommendation actually makes a bit more sense because like who knows, like uh, now we have uh, COVID part two because this whatever new African mutant variant, like probably yep. next month, next month it's going to be the new Cambodian variant and then whatever. <laughs> yeah. Like, after oh, that, it's real. going to be oh, whatever. I won't get too cynical. But so what I've been saying to people is, look, like we don't know when it's going to be when things get back to normal. So how about we start accommodating to like this is kind of reality. Like we spend a lot more time being locked up than what we would want it to be. So I myself have invested into a relatively cheap treadmill. It's not a trivial amount per se. Like it was yeah. whatever, like three, four hundred bucks. Um, but I made that right. purchase like a year ago and it's still here. And currently there are pretty strict curfews here and I'm still getting in like 10 plus thousand steps a yeah. day on days when I'm literally not leaving the house. So like that's um, 
I think for people that are interested in like this whole like staying lean kind of game, like man, that's that's not a bad investment. Like if 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 you're really tight on the budget, just save up some freaking money. I think it could be a smart investment. Seriously. Oh no, abs- abs- absolutely. Um, you know, if you're truly depending on how locked down you are, and that depends very much on the, um, you know, the, the, the requirements or the legal, you know, where you live. Like one, one thing I found interesting, this is just uh, completely unrelated, but you know, for all people like, we go to get the gyms back open, it's critical. I go, okay, look, you need the gyms open for you because I got news, for, oh, people should exercise because it helps against COVID. Look, we've been trying to get people to exercise for 30, 40 years with no success. You think this is what's going to get them into the gym as new new members? You're out of your damn mind. You want the gyms open because you can't stand not having bench day or chest day, right? Let's just call it what it is. But what I have noticed, I have seen more people outside exercising in the last year than at any time in my adult life. Because you can only be in because again, our you know we where I am in Texas, that at least that you know, like we weren't under strict curfew. We weren't you know like yeah you couldn't go go to the restaurant or whatever. But yeah, I've seen more probably more people being active generally than ever before. Because what other option do you have? You can only sit inside so much before you go crazy. But if that's not an option, yeah, if you have room, if you can get even like a basic piece of equipment then that can absolutely make a difference. You know, you can be Will Smith and I am legend. And uh, obviously he was under pretty strict protocols because of the, uh, the vampires, even if he was really the enemy after all. Uh, spoiler alert. Um, yeah, like that, that may be the option. I think we've also seen, and I think this will be the case going forwards, there's a reason companies like Peloton and EFX have jumped on this. We're going to get to the point, this is every dystopian sci-fi novel, between the pollution, between the violence, between everything else, we are going to see a lot of people not go back to the gym. They're going to get basic home equipment. Peloton is doing home personal training. You can ride the bike. We've got a company here whose name I just spaced out on. They'll give you a free piece of equipment. If you buy two years of online coaching from them, which is the same price as if you bought the piece of machinery yourself. Now, they're hoping you're going to keep the training past that, but people are just going to be done with gyms because they're going to realize that they can get everything they need at home. And this is kind of, kind of at least, you know, yeah, there's always going to be the group of people that got to go because they need four different chest machines or whatever it is. But people have invested in home gym equipment and assuming it gets used. Why? Why go back to the gym so you can lay in Chet's butt sweat on the leg curl machine because he didn't wipe the thing down when we have Lord knows how many variants of, of this and whatever else is going to come up going around. So, yeah, I think that's absolutely, you know, a good investment if you can swing it. And the key is to find someone who bought it and then didn't use it and is getting rid of it cheap, right? Because you you don't need much for home use, right? Like you can spend $10,000 on a treadmill if you really want. But this is a commercial grade treadmill that's meant to survive hours of use every day, 365 days a year. Basic home treadmill for a few hundred bucks, it'll be enough. Get one that's motorized, low end, it'll be enough for one person to use, you know, consistently. And it does, it adds up, you know, even if you just get on it, Get on it 15 minutes four times a day. Do that brisk mile four times a day throughout the day. Get up from your desk. It'll make you feel better anyway and keep you awake and make your low back not hurt. There you go. There's your four miles. There's 400 extra calories a day. 
Yeah, and I mean the commercial grade treadmills in the gym, like they have to be suited for the you know the treadmill sprinters in the gym. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, of course. We have we have those in every gym. Like you you look sure. to the left and it's like what the fuck is that noise? And it's like this boom, dude boom, boom, uh, boom, like sprint. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you just want to walk on a treadmill, like it really doesn't have to sure, cost that much. Sure, you do not much. need a heavy-duty treadmill. Like I said, get one that's motorized. The unmotorized are terrible, where you got to push the belt. Um, but they they shouldn't be that expensive at the lower end. Um, this is just a funny story because you know I'm old. Back in the '80s, <laughs> the way treadmills were designed and programmed, whatever speed the last person stopped at is the speed that it started at for the next person. So at commercial gyms, you would constantly see some maniac would be running fast or sprinting, you know, and turn it off from a run. And then you'd see someone get on there unprepared and hit the start button. And this thing would speed up relentlessly. You know, it would go back to eight or 10 miles an hour, six minute mile. I saw so many people just get thrown off the back of treadmills. The, the new ones don't do that. The new ones will reset to two miles an hour, but that used to happen a lot. Um, but yeah, to your point, basic home treadmill, few hundred bucks and, you know, should last a pretty long time. Yeah. So just, uh, two random questions for you for the end. Um, one is, um, you mentioned how people might have this set point for how much activity they are designed to do, you know, I'm sure you love that word as well. Um, mm. and, um, yeah, but like some people just seem to inherently enjoy physical movement less. And what that got me thinking is that we have all these lovely stimulants, um, which, yeah, probably not the greatest thing for health. However, physical activity sure. is good for you. So like if using something like that, like, you know, be it as mild as just mildly abusing caffeine, if something like that actually gets people off their ass, like that might actually be a benefit for these people. But what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, I knew someone many, many years ago and they would complain. They're like, how much easier it was to say skinny when you were on cocaine. Um, I mean, hell, people say the same thing about Adderall, like their appetite just goes away. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that would certainly be one approach, like uh, to to trying to force more activity. It's not just it's a stimulant effect. And actually, that is the place where the body does adapt. Like you don't get... The metabolic effects are maintained internally, but, you know, eventually you stop having having so much of a stimulant effect. But, yeah, I mean, that's certainly an option. Uh, so, like, just a completely random question for the end. Um, just the other day, someone messaged me and asked me, and um, I was intrigued to answer him because at least this was a unique question that I haven't seen, like, 50 billion times. And basically his problem was that he got his step count up to like a crazy high level, like uh, close to like 30,000 steps a day. And he was wondering whether um, he should like slowly reverse that down or should he just go to like a sustainable level or something more like, you know, in the 10 to 15,000 range. He said that he asked a couple of experts. Uh, Lane Norton suggested that he reverses it. <laughs> My immediate like gut reaction was, I mean, just like, like, why would it make a difference if you reverse it down slowly? Like you end up at the same place anyway. Uh, like if you're going to actually like eat the same number of calories and put on some fat by doing less activity, 
like that's gonna happen eventually anyway so like would there be any difference like i just couldn't see any possible reason why that would make a difference but what what do you think yeah i don't see why it matters like okay so you've been whatever eating a certain amount and let's see that 15,000 extra steps a day what's that seven miles so let's say you've been in a 700 calorie per day deficit and you want to maintain well yeah just drop it down now you're back in maintenance i don't see how that now no this is subtly different okay and i think this is the comparison right without invoking the other thing the other reversing thing right when you're coming out of a diet and want to go back to maintenance calorie intake I am generally of the opinion, the faster the better, right? You do not get metabolic recovery until you're at maintenance calories, period. Taking two months or six months or whatever is dumb as hell. Because all you're doing is staying in deficit longer. Now, you could do it in one day if you wanted to. Go back to maintenance the next day. Oh, but I'll get fat. Why? Maintenance is maintenance. How will you gain body fat if you're coming back to maintenance? Use a little bit of logic here. However, with food intake, frequently if you race, if you take the brakes off too quickly, some people lose control, control of their food intake. And in that case, they'd be like, fine, take two weeks. I would never take longer than that. But if doing it in two or three days or a day doesn't work for you, bring it up for a couple weeks to help you maintain food control. But this is different. What's he going to do? Go, oh, I'm going to reduce my step count by 15,000. My body's going to go, oh, should reduce it by more. No, I don't see any reason. I agree with you and Trexler. And I understand why the other is just like to him, it's always got to be. And in some cases, I agree. Yeah, it should be more gradual. I don't see why it matters here. I truly don't. Unless for some weird reason, his But his appetite wouldn't go up. He just goes right back to maintenance in one day. I mean, I I guess his problem was, and I sort of found myself in conundrums like this in the past where, okay, I'm doing 20,000 steps a day and I get to eat, I don't know, close to 4,000 calories a day this way and I'm maintaining my body comp. And man, I really don't want to do 20,000 steps anymore. I would much rather do only 10 But if I drop it down by 10,000 10, steps, then that will mean that I will only have to eat like 3,500 calories or 36. I don't want that. And so I, I guess that's, that was his dilemma that like, uh, yeah, but if I drop down my steps, I will have to eat less to maintain because he, he was already maintaining. And I, my argument to him was, well, at that point, like if your activity was that high, I would actually expect your appetite to go down with that drop in activity as well. Um, but of course that, that yeah and be. i think i think your example is your example is different than his i think was he eating at maintenance while he was doing this yeah i think so yeah yeah so he was doing 30,000 so yeah like if dropping the calories if dropping his his walking down that much means he has to cut a number of calories out that he doesn't want to then yeah bringing it down more gradually might make sense so i think there i'm just like again that's why i need what's the context of this question if he was doing that and losing fat and wants to bring it down to that's one thing he's doing it so he can eat a pile and wants to bring it down i mean that would be equivalent you know when athletes get hurt or when athletes go into their off season or take a break or whatever and it's like um Yeah, frequently they, and frequently they do gain a bunch of body fat. Uh, there was a cyclist, I forget his name, who was notorious. He would get 40 pounds overweight in the offseason and then lose it in like a month of too much cycling, too little food, and way too many drugs. He died of a cocaine overdose. Shocking. And um, so, yeah, like if he was doing that to just eat a ton more, he would have to bring his calories down by 700 immediately. Well, if you're eating 4,000, honestly, you get bored of eating. If you've ever been there. Yeah. So 
I mean, I never get, I never got bored of it, but I had been there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, when you're really, when you're trying to like force feed body weight beyond a certain point, you get to the point where you just hate eating. I've done it, done it in my youth. Uh, the dream bulk that didn't go very well. And um, so, yeah, like if he was going to have problems bringing the calories down at the same time, might be worth bringing it down more gradually. If not, I don't, I don't see any fundamental physiological reason why it would matter. Not, not at that level. Like it, you know, again, it might be different if you were like, yeah, I'm you know, doing a hard bike ride five hours a day or all day every day and i want to stop that but this is just walking it's it's fine yeah his joints will probably his joints will probably thank him too but it's like it's like the old joke about 10 years ago my grandma decided to start walking we still don't know where she is (laughs) um all right so i guess uh, to conclude the the podcast um the the most important things like let's say like five bullet points three to five so number one Higher activity levels generally really do burn more calories. Number two, if you're having a much higher step count, yes, you will probably burn more calories. Number three, you don't have to worry about your body getting accustomed to more calories being burned, and then you will burn less over time. And I guess number 3.5 to number four, uh, actually getting fitter, is a, is a good thing because that will mean that you can actually sustain higher levels of calorie burn and that can right. actually become a more sustainable thing for you. So, uh, so yeah, I guess those are the most important takeaways. And I guess number five is also like take into account what's like feasible with your lifestyle. So I'm guessing that Sumi um, doesn't get in those 20,000 steps by being on a treadmill for four hours and, you know, one, one straight go, like she has a very active lifestyle. So you can definitely get into the, you can definitely get to the point similarly to how you get neurotic about like using my fitness pal and going on there like every hour and like, Ooh, how many macros do I have left? Like I've definitely gotten to the point where I was like literally watching my phone, like every 10 minutes to see like, ooh, 50 more steps. Like, whoa, like I only do this like 1,500 more times and then I'm at 20,000. So like if you can get into a habit and just kind of organize your lifestyle in a way which results in a higher step count, that's awesome. Just, but don't make it your like day's purpose because that can actually burn you out, so. Yeah, it's it's funny if you watch the people who are like big into like crypto and all that sort of stuff and they drive themselves nuts. They're they're refreshing the 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 the, the values every five seconds and living on their phone. It's like, okay, you need to take a breath on this and just take you just take a step back from it. Um, there's one thing you, you did as far as the take home points, you know, that more activity will burn more calories and, and that up to a point, right? Yes, there can be compensations. Are you consciously, are you consciously compensating for those compensations? Are you not, you know, if you certainly find that doubling your activity causes a decrease, well then just do, do, do less, right? It, it's, we, we could even make, I think a comparison with diet. What do we see people dieting do? Uh, the lesser, the fewer calories I eat, the better. So they're like, I'm going to target 1,200, and they do it, but every third day, they eat 2,600. But then you go, okay, let's just back it up. Let's target 1,500 a day, and suddenly they can stick with that. They end up losing better because they're targeting a higher cap, rather than going so hard and failing because they're having these these binge days. I think that's the same, sort of the same take home here. If doubling your activity causes you to compensate and not get double the benefit, 
Well, don't. Don't do that <laughs> because it's it's ultimately having no productive benefit. So, yes, more activity up to a point, and that is what Ponzer's big thing was. Eventually, there may be a constraint, but I think a lot of that is being driven. He's looking at, you know, quote-unquote, a very ecological system in terms of this is what people do in the real world. None of these people are being consciously attentive to it. When we get into people consciously paying attention to it, I do think, because I, I think you talked about that too, and somebody sent me a podcast and it's too hard to listen to it. It's like, clearly with athletes, you can absolutely overcome that, but they're doing it through conscious effort. And that's the difference. It's one thing to not only do the workout and make sure you don't move around less during the day. It's another thing entirely to go to your orange theory class and think that I've done all I need to do and not pay attention to the rest of the day. So I think those are different, very different populations. And then as far as the neat, like just to sort of recap that or, or for some people moving around is just natural, whether it's a function of their lifestyle. Sumi just doesn't like to sit. She just putters. My grandma did it too. She had the putter gene. She could not sit still. My mom then got it when she got older. It drives me nuts with it because she just won't. I just want to watch TV, sit and stop farting around in the kitchen. You're driving me crazy. And some people don't. So they may have to consciously do it. Maybe harder to consciously increase your step count because it still like feels like effort. Or like you said, to your point, set up your lifestyle so that it's included as part of what you're doing, which then makes it less of a conscious choice, which may be easier said than done. But that may, or gamify it, get get your watch, go on your website, get into competitions with people. Like one of my favorite things, then we'll, then we'll end it. A podcast I used to listen to, video game podcasts of all things, because I don't listen to fitness podcasts. Um, by and large. And one of the hosts wanted to lose a bunch, wanted to lose weight. And he got an app and it was a role-playing game. And you entered your daily activity and you would get experience points and gold and equipment and stuff like that. Like, now, yeah, could you lie? But why would you? Like, why would you bother? Like, that's an extra step to lie to a computer. Just get in our role-playing game. Just get Final Fantasy 39, progressively greater amounts of, of false advertising. But he didn't feel like he was exercising to exercise. He was exercising to progress in the game he enjoyed. And I think that, to a degree, looking at your step count meters, you know, on whatever the apps are. I'm old. I literally don't use apps, um, except for dumb games. It's like that may make it easier because now it's like I must walk to walk. I must walk. Rather, I walking because this dumb computer program is going, good job, and that works for you. Yeah, and, and just just last, last point, and then, then um, I'm just going to ask you where people can find you, is I guess yeah. this is the, um, the value of uh, data logging and uh, keeping track of things, which is not for everybody. I acknowledge that like it, it does sure. drive some people nuts, but for example... Um, my issue for a very long time was like for years i actually couldn't have even told you what my maintenance calories are because i mm -hmm. i would either like diet really strictly and every like i could like you know log everything i could recall my calorie intake step count for the last like 3 months and then I would have these yep. crazy cheat days and whatever and just sitting on my ass. And then I would, of course, not log those things. So it's like, okay, I can tell that like this is my weight on average now. But like I, I, I don't really know what my average calories are for these last like five months because it was all over the place. But uh, Sotak right. Andre, for example, like he interviewed you in the past a few times. Like he, yeah. like he will log everything. Like even if he has like a 12,000 calorie cheat day. Uh, it's in his yep. app so like he could tell you in a heartbeat what his exact maintenance calories are and 
he can manipulate his body comp if he wants to at least and if he's willing to do it like a like a marionette like he exa- knows exactly like what step count what activity level corresponds to exactly what energy requirements for him so if someone sure. has the i guess mental bandwidth to do that kind of uh, methodical logging continuously like that can be a very valuable thing so just yeah which is a polite way of saying that they're obsessive compulsive neurotics but <laughs> which i mean i was i mean i like I, it sounds me like me being facetious i I, again, a consult I had, and this individual came at me with spreadsheets and graphs and charts, and I'm like, yeah, you're neurotic, and they weren't insulted, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm like, it is merely a statement of fact. You're an obsessive-compulsive neurotic that needs charts and datas. We will work within that, right? I don't care. I was like that for years, and then I got old and didn't care. Any- well, then I got to a point where I didn't have to because it just becomes so automatic for you, and it becomes very exhausting to do that. Like, And for many years, I could maintain a reasonable body fat without paying any attention to it. Now, if I wanted to get much leaner, I would have to start tracking because I would have to become a little more detail-oriented. Now I'm old and don't care. <laughs> so I've reached I've reached the third stage of all of this. I came through 10 years of neurosis. Like, so I'm old. I'm pre-internet. We didn't have Fit Day. I wrote a computer program. This is not a joke. In basic, which is a joke, <laughs> that allowed me to enter my I wrote a spreadsheet basically. I wrote a diet spreadsheet where I had all the foods I typically ate in a database that I could pull out, add to my thing with the amounts, I could add foods quantities and track my daily diet. I wrote a computer program to let me do it. I was fit day before there was fit day. Think of how much money I could have made. Damn. Because I was crazy. That's impressive. Oh yeah, and I was, <laughs> what else did I, I had no life, what up the hell, well, I actually took a program I'd used for role-playing game that did the exact same things for building building characters in a role-playing game and just modified it for diet. But it was the same thing. And I mean, I had records and data for years and years and years. And then after that, I got exhausted with it. And I just got to where I could freeform it to a degree because I didn't have to think about it too much. And I still can. I can. I know what I'm eating. I frequently don't care. But I can eyeball a meal and be pretty close because I did it for 10 years. And now I just don't give a damn anymore because, like I said, I'm just old and tired. And um, so, yeah, I suspect Zotac. I don't know how old he is or how young he is. Give it a few years. He'll get tired of it. I mean, he may (laughs) not. Some people just want that data and enjoy doing it and can do it without becoming insane about it. Because that's this can be done in a healthy way. But a lot of people, it's like with measuring body weight, I think is the final example. We know that there's good data that, for most people, measuring daily weight helps track, blah, 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 doesn't make them crazy. But that doesn't change the fact that some people are driven nuts by daily variations in scale weight. For those people, it's not a good thing to do. I doubt the majority or even, I don't I mean, it's not like everybody using Fit Day gets crazy about it. But there are people that become too obsessive about it, that become tracking everything. Oh my God, I just had coffee and I got to go log that right now. Yeah, I'm all for logging for a little bit to get comfortable with it. This can become pathological, like anything become pathological. So it's a matter of degrees. And if you find that doing that drives you nuts, then maybe it's not for you or not for you all the time. So so yeah, like it's just kind of depends on the person, depends on their mentality. Just wait, just wait. Zotac will get tired of it because everybody does. Yeah, I guess I, IIFYN, if it fits your neurosis, then. <laughs> um, or- uh, yeah, that too. 
Yeah. Uh, all right, Lyle. Uh, so that was pretty much it on energy expenditure and cardio. So thank you so much for dropping all the, the Absolutely. valuable information. So I uh, want to thank you for being on. And just uh, please uh, let us uh, let us know uh, where can we see more of your stuff. So as always, website is bodyrecomposition.com. Tons of articles and honestly, other than other than nonsensical videos about training and muscular failure, I'm a little bit of a war with Mike Isretel because um, I'm always in a war with somebody, let's face it. That's where all my content is. Store.bodyrecomposition.com is where my books are. And then my Facebook is Body Recomposition. Super active, tons of smart people who aren't me. Experts in every field, very active group. My Instagram is what at McDonald Lyle. When I post to it, uh, it's usually dumb dad jokes or me being not. I post once a week, if that, because I'm not doing not doing daily meme updates and I don't answer questions. I don't read comments and I don't answer DMs. So that's not a good place to find me. But if you want stupid humor, that is, or just go to my Facebook wall. So those are the main places. I've got a personal Facebook wall, again, mostly dumb jokes and memes, the occasional content.